This is episode 494 with relationship, love, and sex guru, John Gray. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am doing something I have never done before, and that is I am resharing the most downloaded and popular episode of all time. And that is the first time that I had John Gray on the show. I've had him on twice, but that first time was the most downloaded episode of all time, which tells me that you guys love all things relationship, love, and sex. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So before we dive in, for those of you that have not heard of John Gray and haven't listened to my two episodes with him already, he is the author of the most well-known and trusted relationship book of all time. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. USA Today listed this book as one of the top 10 most influential books of the last quarter century. How amazing is that? And in hardcover, it was the number one best-selling book of the 1990s. Like, how amazing is that? His books are translated into approximately 45 languages in more than 100 countries, and continues to be a bestseller. How awesome is that? Now he has written over 20 books and his most recent book, Beyond Mars and Venus, Relationship Skills for Our Complex Modern World, sounds amazing. And his Mars and Venus book series have forever changed the way that men and women view their relationships. Truly, this book was a game changer for Nick and I. Now, John helps men and women better understand and respect their differences in both personal and professional relationships. His approach combines specific communication techniques with healthy nutritional choices that create the brain and body chemistry for lasting health, happiness, and romance. His many books, blogs, and free online workshops at marsvenus.com provide practical insights to improve relationships at all stages of life and love. An advocate of health and optimal brain function, he also provides natural solutions for overcoming depression, anxiety, and stress to support increased energy, libido, hormonal balance, and better sleep. He has appeared repeatedly on Oprah as well as The Dr. Oz Show, Today, CBS, This Morning, Good Morning America, and so many more. He has been profiled in Time, Forbes, USA Today, and People. He was also the subject of a three-hour special hosted by Barbara Walters. He lives in North Carolina, where for 34 years, he happily shared his life with his beautiful wife, Bonnie, until her passing in 2018. They have three grown daughters and four grandchildren, and he is an avid follower of his own health and relationship advice. I am so excited for you guys to hear this incredible conversation. You guys loved it. 
And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 494. Now let's dive in. Welcome, John. I'm so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Well, I got up this morning. I probably meditated two hours today. Then I had a green drink, which had a lot of different vegetables in it. Then I did a couple of interviews, waited a few hours, and then had a cup of coffee. Oh my gosh. That sounds amazing that you meditate for two hours. That is awesome. Have you always done that? Sometimes more. You know, I'm 67 now, but when I was 18, I learned transcendental meditation. I became a TM teacher, the youngest TM teacher. I stayed with Marishi for nine years. I was his personal assistant. And then my brother was bipolar and meditation didn't fix it for him. So I studied psychology, went to California, and eventually studying psychology became a counselor. But I've always been a meditator. I don't, I think TM is a good basic technique, but when you've been doing it 50 years, you do more advanced stuff. And it's effortless and easy for me. It's like uh, going swimming. Oh, I love that. Yes, I practice the same and I do the 20 minutes twice a day. And for me, it has changed my life. I started about seven years ago and I used to deal with anxiety and panic attacks and depression. And since meditating, it's just a lot of that has dissipated, which has just been so beautiful. So how old were you when you first learned? And that's amazing. You were Maharishi's assistant. Wow, what an experience. It was, it was. It was nine years of, of uh, having a great role model. I started at 17 and was just in love with meditation and love with the teaching. And he was like a, another father figure for me. I had a great dad, but this was my second dad. We got very close. I'm very devoted, you know. I'm a, a big-hearted person. He could trust me. and. He said, interesting, he said, I, I like to have two people, different people around me, <laughs> one who, who would just follow orders and others who naturally think the way I think. And I was one of those. So. And where was this? Was this living in America? Whereabouts was this? Well, we spent most of our time in Switzerland, also Spain and France. We would rent out hotels in the summer and the winter off season, and thousands of people would come to learn to become TM teachers. And Eventually, he stopped teaching the classes, and we had videos. I put together with a few other people the video trainings, and I would teach some of the trainings. Uh, Sometimes we'd do world tours. Sometimes we'd go to India. It was an amazing time of my life in my 20s to sort of find myself, find the, the source within me. And then I sort of found my path. And what's so interesting is that, you know, I would, I could do his teaching in my sleep. You know, I taught it all and everything. And people would come to him with problems and I would help help transmit his answers to them. But if it was relationship issues, he would say, you know, relationships, I'm a monk. It's not my issue. It's not my expertise. Don't ask me questions about relationships. <laughs> and so when I left, it's interesting. I then sort of being a master of everything he taught and did, so to speak, had to find my own sunshine. You know, I was in the shade of his tree, had to go out and find my own way And ironically, then I went in to teach the one subject he was inept at and didn't have any clue about, and that was relationships between men and women. (laughs) So it's interesting how that goes. So that's how this whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus phenomenon started. Is that right? Yeah, well, basically, I became a. I was trying to help my brother with bipolar, and psychology was pretty useless as well. 
But it, it, it taught me a lot. And I started becoming a counselor and everything I learned, I saw didn't work. And because it was a time of this late 70s and early 80s, everybody was trying to make men into women. And men would think something's wrong with women. Women would think something's wrong with men. <laughs> you know, and it still happens if we don't understand <laughs> that people are different and everybody's different. But when it comes to gender, there's a lot of generalizations that are often true. And I emphasize often, not always. And if you think everything should be your way, you become very judgmental. And this tendency that we have as humans is amplified when you're having a sexual relationship with someone dramatically. They become like one with you, and then you just don't understand, and you resist when they don't think, behave, or react the way you would. And here I was, you know, this guy who'd been five brothers when I'm growing up, all boys, and instead of having normal college years, I was a monk. I was all around men. So I knew men, and I... I had high self-esteem. I still do. And, and there's nothing wrong with men. And, I mean, men can have problems just like women can have problems, but there were certain things that were just normal for men. And when I started counseling, I saw how women just didn't understand men and I could explain men in a positive light. And men, clearly, as I'm counseling women, I go, I have no idea where they're coming from. And, and, and that's because I didn't judge them for their differences And that's important. We tend to be judgmental when we feel powerless or we don't understand something. We're not getting what we want. We want to control others. And you start to control others by by judging them, criticizing them, manipulating them. And really, that's what couples do in relationships. You know, whenever you get upset with your partner or complain, you're trying to get them to change. And when you become a meditator and you find fullness within yourself, relationships become more about unfolding and giving more. Certainly have your needs. And that's important, but it's more about giving and and learning to bring out the best in your partner so you can get what you need as well. And the conditioning we have is all childhood conditioning, which is manipulative. You know, if I'm not getting what I want, I cry or get angry or get mad. And I'm not against emotions. They're a very important part of who we are, but we have to learn not to use them to manipulate. And that's just one of the things I learned, which typically women, but sometimes men, will tend to use their emotions, their complaints to get what they want, rather than being able to graciously ask for what they want with preferences rather than demands. But people become demanding when they're empty inside. They have to, You have to change. You have to fill me up. So one of my mottos in relationship is my purpose in my marriage is not to make my wife happy, to help her find her happiness. But she's responsible for her feelings. And likewise, I'm responsible for how I feel. But she can help me get back to my loving place. But to do that takes an enormous amount of knowledge of, well, what does your partner need the most? And what does he need the most? Sometimes a man needs space, whereas a woman needs you to ask her lots of questions. (laughs) So these are like big, huge differences. And so misunderstood, not only do we not get what we need, but if a man takes his space, a woman follows him, what's the matter? Why aren't you talking to me? Tell me about your day. What's going on inside of you? When really she's just feeling insecure And she needs to talk about her feelings. That's how she could connect. You know, you can connect by going into somebody, listening to them, penetrating. That's the masculine energy. Sharing, expressing, that's the feminine energy. Come inside me, see what I feel, see what I think. And men don't understand the power and the importance of giving room for women to express how they feel without reacting back to her. So, you know, I would explain these differences and show men another way and show women another way. And immediately, you know, they go, oh, I just didn't know. Oh, I just didn't know. You mean when he goes to his cave, it's not that he's mad at me and I should just ignore him for a while? And I go, yeah, give him the space. 
She didn't know that. She took it personally. And men would listen to their wives and just zone out because they talk about issues and men would say, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Look, we'll just do this. And what she needs more at those times is not his suggestions, solutions, fix-its, invalidating statements, dismissive statements. He doesn't think he's being dismissive. He just says, oh, this is no, no big deal. Don't worry about it. Instead, she needs him to say things like, tell me more, help me, you know, help me understand that better. What, what else are you feeling? These are things that are important to help women that men just don't know. And so when they read this book, or the beginning of the Mars Venus thing was long before the book. You know, I taught the ideas 10 years before. I had to find good examples and a, a smooth way to present it because at that time, it was extremely controversial. I mean, you say the wrong word, people get so upset with you. You're not supposed to be different. We're all supposed to be the same. And, you know, the truth is we all want to be respected and you can't respect a person unless you honor their differences, see where they're coming from and not make that wrong. But, you know, what we've got now is, you know, the 90s and 1990 to the 2000, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus was the biggest selling book of all books in the world at that time. It just was on the top of the list the whole time, practically. And it was the biggest seller. And then there was, there was a blowback. The blowback has happened when they realized, oh my God, that people are actually believing this stuff, then there was a strong blowback against me. So it's still not you know, understood fully. It's not fully embraced. Many people love it and many people don't. You can just go on my TED Talk and just see one person saying, this is fantastic. Another person just saying, this is garbage. <laughs> it's There's a lot of resistance to embracing that men and women are different. And now it's gone so far as the gender neutrality where people don't even want to acknowledge their gender and that, you know, it's some kind of an insult to treat somebody as a woman or a man. These are like going in the wrong direction. And yet I provide in my most recent book, Beyond Mars and Venus, I create a context where we can embrace where people come from, but also help them find happiness. Because happiness comes when you're a woman, if you're balancing your hormones and generating more female hormones than male hormones. And if you're a man, happiness and motivation and confidence, all of that comes when you're more on your male side than your female side. But today, so many of the young people and even older people, men go to their female side, women go to their male side, and they're not happy. How to find the balance where you're on both sides. That's the message of Beyond Mars and Venus. And how do we find that balance? Is it what you said, you know, women balancing their hormones? First of all, when I say balancing hormones, I don't mean taking hormones. I mean, having a thorough understanding, which my book presents after you know years of research to come up with this stuff, is what behaviors, if you're a woman, will stimulate the right hormones for the right day of the month for you? Because it changes every day of the month. And once you're in menopause, what do you need to do then? So these are like a big understanding of women have to become aware of their bodies, what their needs are, and so forth. And typically... You have to know how to come back in the balance, ways to come back in the balance. And, you know, it's out there right now. It just doesn't have the clarity. You know, many books are about women. You need to take self-nurturing time. You need to do what you love to do. You need to, you know, take time so you're not obsessed with work all the time. And that's all really good. And what I do is sort of create a, a bigger scientific context so we can make sense of it and then strategies to find that balance. But before I can simply answer the question, which when you get to answer that question, we don't have so much divorce and we'll have younger women falling in love with men again, as opposed to now, they all just want to be on their own. They don't want to get married. And when they get relationships, they unknowingly sabotage the relationship. Men unknowingly sabotage the relationship. 
So nobody's staying together and we have broken families. We have a disaster. We have polarization in our society, extreme. And it all starts at home when men and women can't connect. When we get this gender confusion, there's this polarization. We're trying to find balance. We don't know how. So the first step in finding balance is to recognize you're out of balance. Okay, what are the symptoms of out of balance? Well, you're not happy, period. If you're not happy, you're out of balance. If you're stressed, you're out of balance. Anytime the hormone cortisol is elevating, I mean, cortisol is always in your body. It's a stress hormone. We always have a little bit. But when it's elevated, what happens in women, it's like imagine you're being threatened and you're in danger. When stress increases, that's a danger hormone. You can either go to, I need help, or I can do it myself. When you go to reaching out for help, estrogen's going up in your body. When you go to, I can't trust anybody to help me, I have to do it myself, your testosterone goes up and your estrogen goes down and your progesterone gets used up. So the female hormones, when women go to that independent side and they're under stress, they lose their female hormones. And when you're over on your male side, which is testosterone production and not progesterone or estrogen production, what happens is to come back into balance is the last thing you want to do. It doesn't feel natural. You don't want to do it. You just keep going out of balance. That's the tendency and we, of, of our nature as human beings. When you're out of balance, we tend to keep going further and further out of balance. Like if you're eating potato chips, <laughs> you're just going to keep eating more and more. Or you're eating a, a cookie. Try eating one cookie. Your blood sugar is now out of balance. It spikes. It comes down. And now you want another cookie, another cookie. Uh, if you need to exercise, the people who need to exercise the most are the people who have huge resistance to getting up and doing it. Whenever you need to do something because you're out of balance, typically, if we're not happy and loving and our heart isn't open, to make that shift is against our nature. It means I don't want to do it. That doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good to me. It feels uncomfortable to me. It makes me feel insecure. This is what's happening to women to try to follow my advice, uh, how to become vulnerable, how to be open, how to ask for help, how to share your feelings, how to become more deeply involved, how to be more intimate. Women have to come back to very feminine attributes that are in there. But the women who need it the most are the women who have the most resistance to it. They're afraid of looking weak, wimpy, needy. Ir- you know, they're afraid of losing love if they go to their female side. It's just, uh, there's, she, she imagines she'll get no love and support. And in some cases, she won't. That's why she went over there is because probably in childhood, various times, you know, she's been ridiculed, dismissed, put down, rejected, or she didn't have a father who was present for her who could really validate her feelings and so forth our brothers, they would make fun of her. So if she was being feminine on the feminine side, then if you don't feel loved and supported, you go to your masculine side. Same thing for men. If men don't have father figures, for example, and this is a big tragedy, the lack of father figures and for males growing up today, what happens is you don't have confidence. You don't know how to do things. You have an overprotective mother generally, and you don't have a father who's a risk taker, who's able to deal with problems. He teaches you how to fix things, solve things. It's no big deal. We'll handle it. There's not a lot of judgment on making mistakes. So that father energy, that male energy doesn't grow inside the boy. We, we see now is these boys who are addicted. They're emotional. They're irritable. They're passive. They're low performers. This is a big crisis. I wrote a whole book called Boy Crisis. I know we're not focusing on that, but it's a it's happening on a global level. and so. On one level, this is an evolutionary jump 
from the place Maslow talked about it. Most people are familiar with Maslow. For those who aren't, he's a, a psychologist, very famous for this sort of major discovery that human beings, male or female, when we when our, our primary motivations, our needs, what becomes most important to us when we're in survival mode, if we're too if it's if we're cold, the most important thing is warmth, heat. If we're hungry, the most important thing is food. If we already have house we have warmth, we have food, then the next thing is protection. We have to protect what we have. So this is, you know, we have survival and security needs. These are like basic to life. But once those needs are fulfilled or we're capable of fulfilling them on our own, a shift takes place, an evolutionary shift takes place where suddenly what becomes most important to us is emotional fulfillment, the ability to achieve, to express our inner potential, the ability to experience intimacy, emotional fulfillment that way, feeling good about ourselves, self-esteem, also serving others, getting the support we need. These are all the emotional dynamics of emotional intelligence to a great extent. And for women, when that shift took place, they wanted to assert themselves to achieve and feel good about themselves. Look what I can do. And for men, they want to experience greater happiness and intimacy and, 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 and connection. So men went over to their female side, women went to their male side, but we go too far, then we're out of balance. So that's a good evolutionary step. It creates uh, endless problems. But once we realize we're out of balance, then we're willing to humble ourselves and learn how to find balance by doing those things that don't feel natural. But you have to learn how, if you're a strong woman on your male side, how to become soft and vulnerable. If you're an emotional man, how to stop talking, stop whining, stop complaining, be a man, suck it up and be independent and solve the problem. Don't react and get all emotional about things. And you see why you need to have this understanding of hormones is that's basic science. That's, that's objectivity. It's not just some psychological theory. Because we have all these psychological theories about men, you know, oh, you need to talk about your feelings and women, you need to get them to talk about his feelings. That's going to solve problems. Well, that's called arguing. And that's the worst thing you can do is have these emotionally charged arguments. Arguments are fine if they're difference of opinion. But if somebody's getting emotionally charged and it's the man, it's not going to resolve well. If the man can learn to listen to a woman's emotional charge, it will go down very quickly. He has to learn the art of listening. She has to learn, in this case, the art of giving him space if he needs to take it and how not to provoke him when he takes time away. There's so much we need to learn. I've only touched on a few of the things my books talk about because this is a big subject. We're talking about solving the world problem. You know, we have these environmental problems, but they're all created by men and women. And, you know, this is the, the emotional irrationality of what's happening in the world today, the increasing violence, the wars, all this stuff. We just see it in America so much, the polarization of the right and the left. Nobody can listen to each other without getting angry and upset and just dismissing rather than real dialogue, real understanding. And the reason we don't have that is because we're so confused within ourselves. Men are too emotionally reactive. Women are too on their independent side, so they don't have love. You know, the way you feel love, the way you find love, and and we men depend on our mother's love to become whole people And when a mother can't find her love, a boy is going to miss out and a girl is going to lose because she'll never learn to trust men. Love is the the feminine side of love is trusting, is it's accepting, it's appreciating, it's flowing, it's going with the flow and appreciating life. You can't feel that if you're on your male side. As a woman, you're detached from that and you need to find that loving part of you. And so many women, you know, in their 30s and 40s, they say, I can't find a man, you know, just... 
I can't fall in love. I meet these nice guys. There's nothing happening. The only men I feel turned on to are like not available or they're married or they ride motorcycles and they're dangerous. Well, that's because when you hit danger, you get will get a surge where, where the danger is greater than your ability to protect yourself. There'll be a surge of estrogen and you'll feel this this love, but you're loving the wrong guy. You're loving the guy who's not available to you and the guy who is available to you doesn't do anything to you. So we create all this dysfunction in our life. We make choices and decisions to stimulate. You know, if you make a choice and a decision that's dangerous, it will pump up hormones because we we are just so out of balance when it comes to our hormones. I'll repeat, biologically, when women are actually making testosterone because they're in a dangerous situation, having to make decisions, sacrificing their needs to achieve a goal, to make money, the hormone that gets produced is testosterone. It makes you feel good but it inhibits your body's ability to make progesterone or estrogen, depending upon the time of the month. And therefore, you go out of balance. And then you get further over that where you can't trust, you can't be open, you don't want to reveal, you disconnect from who you are. I'm not in any way saying that women can't do dangerous jobs, they can't run companies, they can't do all that testosterone stuff. They just have to make sure they have a balance that allows them to come back in touch with their feminine side. Mm. And when they go back to their feminine side after being way on their male side, and we'll call one aspect of testosterone is, is logic, rationality, and accountability. Responsibility for what you do. I created this result. I'm not a victim. When you go way over to your male side to find balance, you're going to go way over to your female side. And your female side without the male side is victim, it's hyper-emotional, it's uh, judgmental, it's critical, it's un- unable to find love. So you find you go from one extreme, you're going to go to the other extreme. And you have to not buy into it and realize that this is temporary emotional response. That's what when women go to therapists and 90% of the people that go to therapists are women because it has such great value for them, talk therapy. Because if she can talk about what she feels in what we call a safe environment, which means nobody's going to take it that seriously and make a decision. Okay, we're going to work through these feelings. You know, I saw this. It was like some kind of miracle. I could get women coming to my office within 20 minutes because I know how to ask questions and connect. Within 20 minutes, she's crying. Tears would come up. Upsets would come up. Feelings would come up. And then another 20 minutes later, she feels great. And there's nothing, no big problem in her life. She's suddenly more accepting, more appreciative, happier. You know, it's no big deal. But you have to go through those emotions before you can come back to no big deal. Life is amazing. No big deal is the doorway to appreciating everything in your life. Mm, yeah. That's a lot. I'll, I'll let you talk now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just going to say, I absolutely loved your TED Talk, by the way. I was laughing out loud. And for anyone who's not watched it, I'll link to it in the show notes because it's so good. You guys are going to love it. So I highly recommend that. But does this, everything that you've shared, Does this apply to same-sex couples? Absolutely, it applies because if you have a woman's body, you have the same need for these hormones at different times of your month. And so it's understanding, and I outline it for them and so forth. But when you have your period, uh, after your period for the first five days, your testosterone levels will be a little, naturally will be a little higher, but your estrogen levels are also low and they'll start rising. So if estrogen is, is psychologically, when estrogen levels rise, it's your feelings of need for help. So after your period, there's five days where often women report, you know, feeling rather independent on their own, and that's a balanced state for them. 
But then the body goes to, for the next five days, it's preparing to ovulate. And when it's preparing to ovulate, her needs will increase. Her needs to feel feminine. To feel estrogen is different from progesterone. After ovulation, then she needs more progesterone. That's where same sex is the most supportive. When she's because when you're when you're sharing with someone who's similar to you and not being so dependent on them, but just interdependent and you know like playing cards, making dinner, having fun time in the garden, going together with party with people, doing something you love to do on your own as well. That's a progesterone production. That's different from estrogen. Estrogen when you need it the most those five days before ovulation. That's when you need to be in relationship with somebody you're dependent on. So yeah, same-sex marriage or relationship, if you have a feeling of I'm dependent on this person for something significant for me, as opposed to just friendship, the dependence is more intimate, more revealing. And the more intimate and naked you can get, the more revealing you are, then you're going to feel the surge of estrogen come up in your body. And that's what you need. Now, when a man has testosterone going up, it will create a bigger surge than another woman. Okay, two women together don't produce the same surge of estrogen that a man can produce. But often these women have never experienced being a man, uh, with a man with a surge of estrogen who respectful of her, understanding of her, caring her, and so forth. And there are certain birth biological things that a woman will just have her own natural testosterone levels so she doesn't need a man so much everybody's different, their sexual balance is different and so forth. So there's no one right way here. But at the same time, a woman needs to be able to feel in a relationship with another woman, I have to do women first, where she really depends on her partner for certain things at that time. Meanwhile, the other partner, she needs to have her estrogen surge too. So she needs to feel that she really depends on her partner at that time. But it's hard to do when you have two people both feeling very needy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have to take turns. So you have to be aware that we're going to take turns here and both people are going to get what they need. And generally in a same-sex relationship, one always tends to be more masculine, generally speaking, and one tends to be more feminine. So the one who's feminine needs to have priority. First of all, she needs to go to her most vulnerable place and feel heard, feel supported, feel cared for, feel romance. Then you take turns. See, in gender relationships, male, female, heterosexual, you don't take turns. These are your priorities is the man is the man, the woman is the woman. But for same sex, one has to be the man, one has to be the woman. And when I say man and woman, I mean, hold the male energy of providing. You see, when you go to a doctor, for example, and you're, you're afraid you've got some sickness or you're in pain or whatever, and you go to a doctor, or if you're just getting a massage and you really need it, you feel that dependence. Oh, this is so great. You know, I should pay for this. This is amazing. I want to make sure I give back what they're giving to me. I really needed this. That's estrogen levels going up. So if, you know, this is a good time for, if you're not got a man in your life, it's a good time for you to go to your doctor, your massage therapist, to be in a class of something which is really important to you, where you're depending on someone to give you what you need that you, that you can't give to yourself, and they're not asking for you to spend all this time for them. They just want to get paid for it, basically. And for a man, a man doesn't want to get paid for it. He just wants to see that you're happy. That's the whole thing in heterosexual relationships. If women could just get this, the greatest gift you can give to a man is be happy. Appreciate what he does for you. You know, smile. Be delighted to see him. I'll give you my definition of the perfect wife. 
the perfect wife is delighted to see you and has no agenda to change you. <laughs> mm, I love that. You know, I got that. I didn't invent that. What it was somebody said that's the definition of a friend. But actually, you know, this is it took my wife and I 34 years to, you know, it took probably 20 years to get to that place where we let go of any agenda to change our partners, but to accept and appreciate each other at the same time to always reveal how we feel and without a demand afterwards, but with a preference of what we would like and trusting our partner is going to do their best. So we grew in love. We grew in our abilities to love each other better, to give each other more and more what we like and what we need, because you have to communicate your preferences. But usually people don't and they just get irritated and then they get mad or they get demanding or they withhold or they feel passive aggression or they get aggressive. All this is like crazy conditioning that we learn from our parents because we don't have another way of doing it. But in terms of learning this new way to do it, we really need a new way to do relationships. Historically, relationships were based upon survival and security. The priority in old relationships with role made. If I made money and I was, you know, basically had fairly good manners, a woman would be happy. That was it. She just needed a man to provide for. Her. And if she had children and a nice home and plenty of food, she could have love in her life with friends in a safe neighborhood. She was happy. Her requirements of her husband were not so much. But today, uh, we want emotional fulfillment and you can, the highest emotional fulfillment is a relationship that takes you to orgasm on a regular basis. I was going to segue into talking about lovemaking and how important do you think it is in a relationship? Because I've heard people say, oh, it's, it's not that important. It doesn't matter. So I want to hear your perspective on this. And then I'd also love to hear, you know, how regularly do you think is ideal? I mean, everyone's different. Everyone's desires are different. But, you know, what is ideal? The amount of times that you think, you know, we should be making love each week and how important do you think it is in a partnership? Uh, again, everyone is different. You have different requirements. In previous generations, having sex, passionate, great sex was something people might have experienced for a few months and it was over. Oh, no. <laughs> and everybody knew it was over. You know, if you said to your mother, I want to marry this man, and why do you want to marry him? Because, you know, we're passionately in love and you're having great sex, clearly, when you say that. And, and that's, that's the nature giving you the attraction, trying to make you make that commitment. And, you know, it bonds you with somebody, great sex. It's such an amazing thing. It is the highest level of emotional fulfillment you can have, and it provides a foundation for achieving self-actualization, which is living in the flow, which means always growing in love. Now, that's not a reality in the past. That's not the way relationships were. We call those role-mate relationships. My parents had a loving role-mate relationship. They stayed together. They loved each other. They certainly had great passionate sex in the beginning because I read my father's love letters when he was in the army in World War II, and I read his telegrams to her, and oh, he was a romantic, passionate guy. That's where I got it all from. But by the time I came along, all that was gone. They even slept in different bedrooms, and you know, at a certain point, they stopped having sex altogether. Well, that's actually very common in America right now. There's all these sexless marriages. People have sex. It basically, once a month is a sexless marriage. Also, many men will complain, my wife doesn't want to have sex. She's not that interested in having sex. Like the woman you just talked about, it's not that important. It's not that important. Well, what that means basically is she's not having great sex. You know, when, when you have a, when you can, 
have a great chef, you're going to want to eat. <laughs> but when you don't, oh, yeah. chef, you don't want to eat, you just go, okay, it's a, that's all I can afford. That's what I get. Contentment. And there's nothing wrong. Okay. There's nothing wrong with contentment. My parents had a lovely life. They loved their children. We grew up in happiness and harmony, particularly because my dad had a good job, made good money. My mother loved being a mother. She was good at it. Her dream was seven children. She had seven children, six boys and one girl. And there's not a day where I saw my mother wasn't happy. And when my father died in an accident, my mother continued, you know, she went through her process, but then she continued to be happy in her life. And that that's fine for her. So if somebody says, it doesn't matter to me, uh, I cringe, basically. I feel sorry for that husband. For most men today, they want sex. And when they're not getting it, then they lose the passion. They lose the interest in their partners. And then the women initiate divorce because they say he ignores me. He's not interested in me. They usually don't say he doesn't want to have sex with me. What they say is he's not interested in me. He's not romantic. He doesn't listen. I'm telling you, you go to any restaurant, you can see who's single and who's married, generally speaking. When you see a man looking at a woman talking, he, they're, they're just meeting each other. They're dating. He's waiting to have sex, okay? It's just like, but he's not just pretending to be interested. He is interested because the sex drive is the most powerful energy you can have. It's what brings us together to start with. And you look at who's not looking at each other, looking away, and that's the married couples. They've lost the drive, and that's okay if they want that. But what I'm saying is as a someone who looks at why people get divorced, and that's on the rise, it's been on the rise again and again and again, divorce is they're, generally speaking, not having passionate, great sex. And of course, if you say why, there's many reasons why that they'll find. They'll say, oh, you know, we argue outside the bedroom. He does, he neglects me. I don't get enough romance. I'm too tired. I'm exhausted. Men will basically say, you know, she, I've tried many times. She's not in the mood. I've just lost interest. So there's a lot, a lot of different reasons and categories of why couples stop having sex. But I simplify it down. It basically... When a woman's estrogen levels double because her she's responsible for balancing her hormones and she uses her partner for help, we haven't identified how to do that, but that's the that you've got to have the right hormonal. When she's got when her estrogen levels can rise to super high levels, double the normal level, then she's interested in sex. She wants sex. She wakes up and she wants to take off her clothes and lie naked with you. I mean, there is nothing bigger. To, for me, when my wife comes and you know takes off her clothes and rubs up against me, I'm Superman. That's the biggest thing <laughs> for a man is a woman's desire for sex, not pretending to want sex, but desiring mm-hmm. sex. It's the number one complaint I hear from men. Oh, she didn't want sex, you know. So what happens is he loses interest. In. Now, what's different between our present time generation, where we have these men who are more in touch with their female side, more women more in touch with their male side, is the potential for sex to be great is better because you can have both those energies together within you and share it with your partner, but also the potential to not have sex at all is greater as well. It's like, it's like we, we have such higher potential now, but if women are way on their male side, if you know how to have sex and how much sex and when to have sex, we'll get that, then that's the most powerful thing to bring her back to her female side. I mean, she's going to double her estrogen levels, her cells and her body are going to be swimming for joy that she feels feminine. Then she can go back over to her male side and not be so unhappy and overwhelmed and distressed. Whenever you're feeling overwhelmed and you're a woman, you're too far on your male side, period. That's it. 
And that's the thing I hear most. If you're resenting your partner, complaining about life, you're way on your male side. You're not happy. You're not fulfilled. Now, asking your partner for help is different from complaining. And complaining can be a way to get to your female side as long as you're not complaining to the person you're upset with. If you're complaining to the person you're upset with, you're generally trying to manipulate them into changing. You're basically saying, what you do that, it makes me unhappy and I won't be happy until you change. That's a complaint. Sharing is just saying, gee, when he does this, it makes me unhappy and you're not trying to change anybody. Now, at a higher level, if you can do that with your husband where you can share your feelings with no, with no demand that he change, he'll want to change. This, this is learning how to share. Love is not trying to control somebody. Love is allowing someone to be who they are and also letting them know how they can give you more, but not demanding it. And they will rise to the occasion for both men and women, but we don't know how to love. In the past, people loved each other. They did their jobs. Men showed their love by doing what they were taught to do by their fathers, make money, provide for your family, don't get angry with your wife, and everything's very good. She does what her mother did, take care of the children, cook, clean, make a beautiful home, and she was happy when she had the opportunity to be that. Not all relationships were happy. I grew up in a happy family, so I could see primarily it's because my dad had a good job and he didn't get angry. And so it, it was very peaceful all the time. But clearly, without a doubt, they stopped having sex. They were content. They lived a nice life. Today, people want more. That's generally, if you don't want more, then great. But, oh, I shuddered when I heard some talk show host uh, had all these celebrities on and one was bragging about, oh, I have a great husband, you know. Well, how do you balance everything? You're so busy in your work. Oh, he's, we've got two kids. He takes care of them. He stays home because I make more money. And he's like a great wife to me. And then she said, well, do you have sex? And she said, oh, who cares about sex? There's no time for sex. Forget about sex. Well, that relationship will go downhill and he'll get a divorce. He will start to neglect her. He'll be irritable, become angry. You know, angry men just aren't getting, being fulfilled sexually. I mean, I know that's a kind of a broad thing, but when you have been fulfilled sexually with a woman who loves you, what happens biologically is your testosterone levels double. Okay, it, testosterone, whenever a man's testosterone goes down, his estrogen tends to go up. He becomes angry. He becomes irritable. He becomes aggressive. He becomes mean. He becomes defensive. The worst qualities of men only occur when testosterone levels are low and estrogen is high. The worst qualities in women, generally speaking, occur today when her testosterone is being produced throughout the day and her estrogen or progesterone is too low. This is just what we've done today is we're way, way out of balance. And unfortunately, what makes it even harder to come back into balance, even after I explain to people how to do it and what to do, is biologically, we're also having to face our environmental toxicity. Now, I know everybody always hears now about environmental toxicity, but generally not everybody knows that when you eat foods that were grown with pesticides, any pesticide, and not just the GMO pesticides, any pesticide, is when you, when you put those pesticides in your body, they bind with what's called estrogen receptor sites. They go into these little buckets in our cells and they say to the brain, ding, ding, you have plenty of estrogen. You have plenty of estrogen. Also, when you eat cheap meat and chicken, uh, where they feed them, they put hormones into the animals. Uh, these come into your body and they bind with estrogen receptor sites and they send a little message to your brain and says, oh, you've got plenty of estrogen. 
So if you've got plenty of estrogen and you're a man, that sends another message to your brain that says you've got too much estrogen, so don't make testosterone. That's the way men's bodies are built. When you give them estrogen, their testosterone levels go down. Now, we can try to figure out why that is, but that is how the body works. I have a big explanation evolutionary-wise, but that's a lot of talking. We just know that when you take estrogen in the body, male hormones go down. We see it now in the youth. Children today, boys, their testosterone levels are much lower than any other generation. They're even hit, many boys are hitting puberty two or three years later. Girls are hitting puberty two or three years earlier in various degrees. Now, what is happening Mm -hmm. there? The boy's male hormones are low because he's being fed estrogen. Second, girls' testosterone levels and estrogen levels are lower because when you give a when you when you activate these receptor sites with with pesticides and hormones from animals it sends a message to the brain that you've got plenty of estrogen like you've got male you've got estrogen so you don't need to make any more estrogen so it's the desire and need to make estrogen that causes women to feel attraction to men it allows women to feel attraction to partners to feel love You don't feel the love for someone because you don't feel the need to make estrogen. Now, when I say feel the need to make estrogen, you're not consciously going, oh, I need to make estrogen. Your body is saying, you know, when you're feeling like I want to have sex, your body's saying, I feel safe and I need to make some estrogen. So come have sex with me. That's what your body, the body is saying this because sex, romance that precedes sex warms her up where she feels safe. And then then her estrogen levels can start to rise with a man's attention, affection, touch, kissing, stimulating, and intercourse, and orgasm. And she's basically happy for for 30 days, okay? It's gonna, it's gonna, it's a ground, she resets to being more of a woman rather than this, this woman who's lost touch with her femininity. All it takes ultimately is just one. Now for extra pleasure and fun and connection, more is more is fun, but too much is not good, particularly with men, because it's the man, his energy has to awaken it in a woman. Okay. It's because he is feeling desire for her. He also is in balance. So he 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 has an understanding of her. He's able to slow down in sex. He's able to do the foreplay in sex. He's able to do he shows through his actions and his behaviors and on a date by being attentive to her like any single guy would, he still has that same interest. Well, married men don't have that interest. It's not as easy for them to have that interest, but I'll tell you how you can get there in a minute. But the the, the single guy, he's alone, so he knows he needs, he needs to have love. He needs connection. But if you're living with your wife all the time, you don't, you're, you're connected quite a bit, so you don't really feel that need for connection as much. The, and you love your partner a lot, because you're connected to her. Well, that love and connection, that creates estrogen. Now, estrogen lowers testosterone, and testosterone creates the desire, the motivation to have sex. So if a man, he, he needs his testosterone levels to be quite high to want to have sex. But if during the day he's run out of, basically used up a lot of the testosterone, you use up testosterone, you make it throughout the day, you use it up, but you use up more than you've got if you're under stress. So if you have a stressful day, 
you could be coming home and let's say I'm, you could be driving in New York where they've got practically naked women on the billboards everywhere. You're going to look at that and your body's going to go, wow, that looks great. I can't wait to get home and have sex with my wife. And this happens to men all the time. They can feel sexually aroused while they're away from their wife. They walk in the door and suddenly they're tired and nothing's happening down south. What just happened? Well, what happened is you come into your estrogen zone. When you love your partner because you love her and you're familiar and you feel safe with her, being around her increases estrogen unless she behaves in a way that knocks up your testosterone. Of course, the biggest way to do it is she appreciates him. You know, my friend Warren Farrell, we wrote a book together called Boy Crisis, and he was doing an interview. And I really like what he said. You know, when mom makes dinner, people are taught, children are taught, let's thank mom for making dinner. But nobody thanks dad for making the money for the dinner. And ironically, I laughed at that because my kids naturally did that. You know, whenever Bonnie would do something for him like that, you know, we're on his vacation, mom, thanks for doing this for me. And she's, and thank you, dad, for providing this. You know, thank you, dad, for paying for all these things. Because in our house, it was more traditional where I made more money. So it's being able to acknowledge that men require lots and lots of appreciation. Women require lots and lots of affection, attention, and caring. But you'll see women are wanting it all now because their male side says, I want appreciation, but that just increases more testosterone. That's not what she needs. Yeah, everybody wants to be appreciated, but when your hormones are out of balance, what women start looking for is, why am I not being appreciated? Resentment, I do this, I don't get appreciation for it. It's like what she needs is attention, affection, romance, listening, caring, validation, these are all the female side, have nothing to do with I appreciate you, it has to do with I care for you, I want to give to you, I'm there for you, you're not alone, I protect you. That's different from when you appreciate someone and say, oh, you're giving me what I need, thank you so much, what an amazing thing, and gee, you don't have to be perfect, you're good enough the way you are, and, and I appreciate what you do. Those b- expressions that I just gave were testosterone stimulating. So men need more of the testosterone stimulation, which is that little definition I gave to you, which was of a great, great wife, is she's delighted to see you. Oh my God, every morning my wife was delighted to see me. And on other mornings, you wake up and there'd be this naked, warm body rubbing against you. There's nothing more wonderful for a man than a woman who wants you, but it has to be real. It's not pretend to do this to turn him on. It's because she wants to be naked and be kissed and touched and loved and then eventually have the sex. So this is all naturally happens when our hormones are going up. But we've done tests, uh, they've done tests. There are all these are real tests. When men marry, their testosterone levels go down. When you're single, they're higher. Why? Because you're alone. Aloneness, independence creates testosterone. Connection creates estrogen. So when you love a woman, naturally your testosterone goes down a notch. Then if you have children, it goes down even further because you love them so much. The love energy actually inhibits testosterone unless he's getting something to knock up his testosterone. Now, for me, it was really easy to have high testosterone until I learned all the sexual secrets I'm going to reveal. For me, because I travel, you know, we had an arrangement in my marriage where because I travel a lot teaching seminars, I to be gone no longer than 10 days a month and usually just five days or six days. But to be out of town 10 days at a time was the maximum. And because otherwise women start to dry up if they don't have their partner, you know, they really need the affection and the touch and so forth. Men can postpone gratification much easier. So and then when I'm coming home, I've been missing her. I've been independent. I haven't had connection. 
I'm just working. So my testosterone's off the chart. So when I would come home, all that testosterone could help open her up. Unless I was gone too long, then she needed to slowly increase her estrogen. But if I called her regularly and stayed in touch with her, then when I came home, we just went right to the bedroom and we did the with the, the ecstasy thing because my testosterone was so high and I'd been continuing to prime the pump through continuing to talk to her on the phone and connect with her. And we had the 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 videos, you know, on the 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 phone that has the the pictures on it and so forth. So there we are is you've got to maintain both people's needs. Then you can keep your hormones up. And I wrote a whole book on that called Beyond Mars and Venus, building up to the answer on sex. How important is sex? We already covered that for some people, it's not that important. For most people, most people, maybe not everybody, when they get a divorce and we don't want to have divorce, it's because they'll say the passion, the juice is gone. And many times they'll have a long list of complaints, but the long list of complaints happen because the juice is gone. When you are satisfied, when you are making love on a regular basis and sex is great, it's hard to be upset about little things, okay? <laughs> it's just because mm. you're in balance. You know, anytime you're unhappy, you're out of balance. And, you know, in any situation, and women actually are the most adaptable, they can actually feel happy when things are when things are not perfect, if they're in balance, and they can feel more unhappy when they're out of balance, when things aren't perfect. Men have to sort of forget the bad things. We, we had the ability to forget stuff really. Okay, I forget it, forget it, and then come back and be loving. And whereas women have to talk it out or talk it out with somebody who's listening to them, then they can come back without forgetting what happened, but also be very accepting and appreciative and trusting they did their best. You know, these are amazing gifts that women have to, to, to put up with men. You know, I look at some of these guys, I go, what woman's going to be turned on to him? And yet here's this woman turned on to him. I remember seeing a movie once where a guy was feeling inadequate and, but he met this one woman, she was in love with him. And the older, wiser guy said, look, buddy, you don't have a lot going for you. And this woman's in love for you. And I know you think, how could any woman love you? But somehow God has made some woman out there capable of loving you. You just have to take care of her and she'll continue to do it. And that is, that's the natural chemistry that happens. And it's a sexual tension that gets released when we get close to somebody that's part of, it's part of, not all of, compatibility. It's confusing because for women, if they have wounded issues with their father and, and people pleaser issues, they often feel sexually turned on right away to the wrong man. They'll find men that aren't available, aren't interested in her, or just want to use her sexually, or they're married, or they're violent, and they get turned on. They get turned on. It's an amazing phenomenon, and that's because they're incomplete, still trying to get the love of someone who can't give them the love. And that's a that's a healing pattern that she can process and whatever by consciously choosing whenever she's turned on to a man right away to run the other direction. The healthier way to get turned on to a man is the man who slowly, as you get to know them, you feel more and more turned on to them, more and more turned on to them. So you start from the mind where you find them interesting and safe and uh, curious. You're drawn to them. Then you feel more emotional. You like them. They do things with you. It's more enjoyable. Your heart starts to open. You start to like them a lot. And then you start to feel some love. Then you have sex and sex is great. Uh, The chemistry's there. Boom, he's the right guy. So it's a gradual process for women. For men, it's a gradual process of bonding. It starts with sexual chemistry. 
So there's all these women, there's 10 women. The only woman he has a potential to have a relationship with is the woman he first feels sexual chemistry with. So men, that's a, a starting point. Doesn't mean she's the right woman for you, but it's the starting point. It has to be there right away unless you've got blocks to sexuality. But the bottom line for men, you're turned on to her. Don't have sex till you hear her talk, <laughs> till she shares her feelings, till her heart opens. Otherwise, she's the wrong one. Can you still be turned on to her after you get to know her? And, and, and then when you hear her points of view and so forth, and you can still be turned on to her, that's really a good sign. But most men, they can be turned on to a woman until she talks because there's a physical compatibility that he has to have with her so that always in the relationship, when he wakes up, he's able, unless he's just had a great night of sex, he's able to have sex with her. He doesn't have sex, but he wakes up with that erection every day and it's in her presence. That's the power of healthy testosterone levels. So how to keep testosterone levels high when we're eating all this junk food, we're eating heart, cheap meats. Now, I try to avoid that, those foods, but I travel a lot on airplanes in different cities, and I'm not going to get the high quality stuff I get when I'm home. So I do things to kick those bad estrogens out of my body and restore balance in my body. I do it with my vegetable drink, like you asked me, <laughs> but I, I cleanse, okay? So today I'm just cleansing. I had a, have mainly vegetable juices today, a couple of days like that, and that will help my liver kick out all these estrogens and my testosterone levels will build up. For a man, just making the choice to discipline yourself when you want to eat, everybody likes to eat, most people, I, I love food, but I discipline myself. Anytime you discipline yourself, your testosterone goes up. Anytime you delay gratification to achieve a noble purpose, your testosterone goes up. Anytime you indulge in what you like, your estrogen goes up. So as a man, I strengthen my testosterone through discipline. I also have discipline in sex, which is the most powerful urge there is. And as a man, he can learn how to have sex. It means, you, you first of all, you go slow, even though you want to go fast. You understand her rhythm. You stay with her as she's guiding you through her sounds and her responses, never to go more than her. For example, I wouldn't even do anything but gently caress a woman until I found her breathing was automatically arousal breathing. Everybody knows when you're aroused, your breathing automatically starts. Well, if her breathing hasn't started, don't even think about the more intense things in sex. You got to slow it down. You got to, you know, cuddle, be close together, stroke, depending on how much she's on her male side. You don't want to just go straight to the clitoris and start stimulating her. That's just like getting a man off or something. She needs to naturally become aroused. In the Taoist philosophy of sexuality, they say the first orgasm is just the breathing. And, and then people take that to the limit. You take tantra courses and then they teach you to breathe the whole time, which is totally boring to me. You just, you breathe together in arousal state. And then that generates as kind of a sucking tentation, sensation in your mouth. Gentle kisses, gentle kisses until you're literally doing suck face is what some people call it. Where they're just, you're feeling the sucking sensation and a penetrating where she'll put your tongue. When, when she starts wanting to penetrate you, that means her testosterone levels are starting to rise. The breathing is the estrogen levels going higher than the penetration of her tongue into your mouth. Okay, that will naturally happen if you go slow. Now you're doing typically what's called French kissing or suck mouth is what some people call it because a sucking starts to happen. Then that intensifies. You go to the, and none, nothing I say is exactly the same every time. There's a lot of variety here, but you got to discuss, discuss something. You go to the neck, you go to the ears, you stroke the hair, 
You want to create in her a desire for your hands to touch her nipples. That's the next thing. So you're, you're touching, circling, circling to finally you're grazing over the nipples, getting a little action where they start becoming erect. They're engorged with more blood. That means her oxytocin levels are dramatically increasing when the nipples become engorged. That is blood flow. Her estrogen levels are now getting into this zone where blood will now flow and uh, to her vagina. So it will start becoming lubricated. You know, so many couples just jump into bed and add lubrication. That means their body's not ready for it. And if you do that, it should only be like a quickie just to satisfy him, but it's certainly not going to satisfy her. And nor do you want to make a habit of it. It has its function and purpose. So he's not so horny, but part of the discipline for men, they can learn, which I'll talk a little bit about is you slowly go down, then you stimulate after you're doing the breast, you do sucking on the breast. So sucking, this sucking is a very important part. It's another orgasmic energy where she feels you're sucking on her and you're sucking her. Then the energy goes down where you start touching thighs and legs and kissing belly and all that and touching the clitoris and stimulating the clitoris. So she can have an orgasm, the breathing orgasm, the tongue orgasm, the nipple orgasm. Then you get to, these are like little waves of excitement and pleasure that will increase her pleasure so that when you actually get down, you're touching around the whole vulva. You're never just going straight to the clitoris, but you're touching the whole inner side. The vulva is the, all the things down there. And you're circling and you're touching and you're gently pressure that you're touching it with. And then gently getting to the clitoris as she's showing, as you graze over it and she shows excitement, moves her pelvis forward. That means you can start touching directly. You can pull back the hood on it. You can gently move a finger, you can use your tongue, and you're gently stimulating that area for another wave of pleasure until you find a lot of liquid coming out of the vagina. At that point, then you have intercourse. And then when you have intercourse, you need to become disciplined as a man to not ejaculate till she's had several orgasms. And women are quite capable of having several orgasms unless you just go straight to the clitoral stimulation and you don't go through all the foreplay stuff. Then what will happen? is she'll have an orgasm, but it's more like a woman with a vibrator having an orgasm. It's not the, the feminine orgasm. It's his penis around the rim of the vagina. It goes in out. Just, 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 you want to create desire in her. See, that's the whole thing for women is you have to generate desire in her. And he has to hold back from just going right to his goal, which is ejaculation, which is orgasm for men. But actually, orgasm and ejaculation are different. But so you basically want to go through waves of pleasure with her, regulating through her responsiveness, gently going in, occasionally a deeper stroke, and then gentle, gentle, deeper stroke. Then you go to angle it so you get to the G-spot. G-spot is another orgasm she can have. Go a little beyond it towards the cervix. There's a what some people call the E-spot. You, you're going in deeper. Then that's another orgasm for her. Then what happens after three or four orgasms is her cervix actually comes down. Now, some men have really long penises and they go just go deep. They'll hit that cervix, but it doesn't feel good to her or feel good to him either. It's kind of like banging, almost like somebody's punching you. But if you time it and you have many, many orgasms, then the cervix will come down and kiss the tip of the penis. And it's just like sparks are flying. And that's orgasmic, full orgasm for both him and her, but not ejaculation for him. And then there's a few more points on the other side and circle the cervix and various things like that. If you take the time to explore all this, most guys are done after, you know, a little, you know, two or three minutes. You'll never, ever get her to that place 
you need to go, you know, this is like at least 30 minutes of intercourse to an hour where you're opening her up. It doesn't always take that long if you're doing it quite regularly. But it takes a while for men to learn the art of having many orgasms, being satisfied through her orgasms with her to not ejaculate every time you have sex. So if men just want to have normal sex, that's a a class you take on how to have orgasms without ejaculating. But without being able to teach that class and the training that goes into it, you ask the question, how much should couples have sex? Well, have sex as much as you want, but know that if you have sex all the time in the beginning, you're going to, most couples will lose interest in sex as we see the evidence of it. Couples have less and less sex as they know each other. And that's because they have the wrong kind of sex. They don't know how to have sex. He doesn't do the foreplay. She doesn't know how to have orgasms. She uses a vibrator. Vibrators completely inhibit a woman's body from being able to receive a man's touch. It desensitizes her very much the way porn desensitizes men to being able to feel actual arousal to a real woman. It's hyperstimulation desensitizes our bodies. She should feel the dependence on his touch. He should tease her so her desire increases needing his touch, needing his touch. That has to increase. That's what creates the sparks. So what you do, if you're having boring sex, you're still having sex, is you look at some research. This is real research. This is biology. This is not this person or that person. This is literally everybody, okay? So this is some basic things. You cut your finger, you'll bleed. When you ejaculate and you're a man, the next day your testosterone levels will go down. They don't go way down. But it basically, you have a basic level of, of set point testosterone for every man. That's your, uh, I'm okay, I'm good. But it's not like I'm Superman feeling fantastic. It's I'm okay, good. Now, when you have sex and she has an orgasm, your testosterone levels will double. You'll be feel like super. This is the best thing. Look what I did. It'll be great. But then what happens, because when you ejaculate, your estrogen levels shoot really, really high. It lowers your testosterone for a while. So you'll go down to set point. That's often why Saturday night sex is followed by Sunday Sunday watching the football game, sitting around doing nothing, <laughs> ignoring your wife. That's generally a pattern in, in our cultures is great sex, date night, and next day men just sort of go into passive. They don't have the juice. Not every man, but this is quite common. But the biology of this, the, the testosterone goes down to set point. Then they measure this testosterone over the week and it slowly increases if you don't have sex for six days and you don't ejaculate for six days. On the seventh day, your testosterone levels double. That's doubling your testosterone. That's what, that's alpha male. That testosterone, that's desire. That's a really hard penis. That's the ability to have more stamina. And the more you practice this, your stamina in sex increases and increases where you can last longer before ejaculating. And that's the discipline is in the beginning, you have to practice not just ejaculating right away. You get excited, you relax the whole thing, you come back. But the key to it is you have sex, you eventually ejaculate on Saturday night. You go for six days and it will double on the seventh day. Now that is very rare because most men will masturbate or they'll have sex again during the week or they'll look at some porn, get aroused and do a two-minute ejaculation. Done. Got rid of that desire. And they don't realize that what they're doing is preventing their body to hit its peak point again and double that testosterone level, increase higher levels of testosterone in his body over time, support the prostate gland so the prostate gland doesn't have all these problems that older men have. And this is because he masturbates too much or he has too much sex. Now, 
for example, for me, you would have sex on Saturday night. The rest of the week, it doesn't mean I can't have sex. It means I just don't ejaculate when I have sex. But that's that's something you can't just step into. You need to practice many months of not ejaculating during the week and just having sex once a night, that once a week. Then there's something else. The last thing I'll talk about this is, and you can ask questions. I'm sure you have lots of questions. <laughs> but the, here's what kills the passion in marriage, okay? Now, this has never been said before. I've never heard it before, but it's working on all these things, figuring this out. In psychology, it's a very simple concept of conditioned response. Conditioned response, you take a dog, for those that don't know, most people know, but I'll just repeat it. You feed a dog food, it sees the food, it will automatically salivate. Instinctively, it doesn't think, it just starts to salivate. And sex is also ruled by the unconscious mind. It's something we don't have conscious control over, the arousal, the erection, and all that. Just like a dog salivating with food. So the the dog sees the food, begins to eat the food. It's making enzymes automatically. You ring a bell at that time and do that a few times. Then at another time, ring a bell and the dog will begin salivating as if it's eating the food. That's called a conditioned response. Now, particularly things that are regulated by the unconscious mind are more vulnerable to conditioned response. So sex is regulated greatly by the unconscious mind, and we are being conditioned in sex every time we have sex. So every time a man has sex, what happens in a woman orgasms, for a woman when she's having an orgasm, uh, get to get to the point of an orgasm, an ecstatic orgasm or many orgasms, her estrogen levels are going higher and higher and higher. Her heart is opening, and the French will call you know a real orgasm a little death. And, you know, I've always looked at that and kind of went, well, I never die. But I realized for women, it's a little death because when you have big blowout orgasms, you become mindless. Basically, you're all on the yin side as pure emotional energy. And that is the perfect balance to being so masculine during the day is getting that orgasm. But getting over there is a challenge. That's all the techniques and skills. But that is mindless. You get to go all the way to that mindless place where he's taking care of you, you feel safe in his arms, he's providing pleasure for you, and her pleasure becomes his pleasure because he's connecting with you. And he's orgasmic as you're orgasmic and, and so forth. So now at that point of maximum estrogen in your body, your heart opens, you're mindless, right? You're, you know, no mind, you have no protection. So you're feeling very, very safe. All the love pours out of you at that moment. And so, and when he ejaculates, also his testosterone levels and estrogen levels are both rising, but then estrogen surges higher than testosterone in the balance. And that causes the ejaculation. He's gone too far to his female side. He will feel tremendous love in that moment of connection. But then what you see happens with men is as they're losing their erection, they're withdrawing, they're pulling away. And her body senses that withdrawal. He pulls away. He no longer feels that need to be close and be so tight and cuddly and so forth, but he's pulling away. Some men that pulling away is more than others. But the the drawing back that happens is a conditioned response. In his body, he associates, oh, my testosterone just went down when I go, when I open myself to her, my testosterone goes down. When I have sex with her, my testosterone goes down. That's a conditioned response that I talked about earlier. A man comes home to his wife, his body remembers, oh, with her, my testosterone goes down. He loses interest in sex. He loses his erection. 
That's a conditioned response with her, not with other women. So it can still go up with other women, but not with his wife after many repeated experiences of ejaculating into his wife. Now, the woman, on the other hand, has a conditioned response, which is I opened my heart fully and he left. So her body will basically begin to have a conditioned response not to open up fully or you'll lose him. And so now you have a response when she thinks about having sex with him, her estrogen levels don't go high because she lose him because the, this connection is the greatest source of pain for women. Low testosterone causes the greatest pain for men, depressed men, suicidal men, violent men, all that is low testosterone in men. So the conditioned response for her is not to want that which is going to cause him to go away. And his conditioned response is not to do that, which will lower my testosterone. So now what happens? That's called conditioning. It takes many years for that conditioning to set in. So then you're going to be content with no sex, except today men want to get that testosterone up and there's porn all over the place. Women are basically feeling not getting that estrogen surge they need in order to counterbalance being in testosterone land. So women need sex more than ever today because it's the most powerful way to come back to your female side. Having said all that, how to undo that conditioning? Now we look at the research on the, the Japanese did. If a man does not masturbate during the week and goes for six days without releasing, his zinc levels increase, his potency increases, and you can measure the testosterone levels will double. So then when in he's in her presence, her body experiences his testosterone levels going to that double level. And as I said before, it's the yin and the yang combining. That increases her estrogen levels higher. So she gets to feel the counter conditioning is that when she's responsive to him, his testosterone goes up, his interest in her goes up. So there's this reconditioning. And in psychology, there's such a thing as a conditioned response and providing the opposite support over time, reconditions. And so when he is not ejaculating during the week, he doesn't withdraw as much. That connection will be stronger, but then it doubles on Saturday if that's the day you're having your sex. And that then reconditioners to, oh, I haven't lost him. He comes back. And that's the key to it is knowing he comes back. And so this will keep the passion alive. Then what you learn is to have, you know, get into a higher state is where over time, once you've built up this regularity of doubling your testosterone, doubling your testosterone, then as a man, you can start learning because you have high testosterone, how to not ejaculate, but still experience orgasm. It's not the same as an ejaculation. It's a wave of pleasure, very much what women experience. And there's contractions, your body's contracting the whole thing. And it's actually more, it's a full body orgasm. And that's a whole nother topic on itself is men have to train the muscles, the pelvic muscles in a certain way, learn to tighten, relax, pull. And, and there's a lot of apps online. There's books written about this. But the bottom line of this, it's simple for everybody, is men don't ejaculate during the week. Just do it once a week. And every time on that once a week, your testosterone levels will double so that her body can have counter conditioning and still want to be with you. And having said all that, we still need to have good communication skills outside the bedroom. But what I found is that when couples are having regular sex and it's ecstatic, you don't really need as many skills outside the bedroom. It's a lot easier to apply the skills I recommend outside the bedroom. You have more energy to apply. You remember more. You're less in fight or flight, so your relationship can grow and thrive for a lifetime. Yes, I absolutely agree. Now, 
Everything that you've shared has been so amazing. And a lot of this information is in all of your incredible books. But let's pretend that you have a magic wand now and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides all of your books, let's presume they're already in the school curriculum because they absolutely should be. But if you could pick one other book, what would it be? Well, I haven't thought about that. There's a lot of really good parenting programs. That would be for the parents. We're talking about for teenagers to read. I'm kind of at a loss. I haven't thought about my kids have grown up quite a bit. You know, there's something called emotional intelligence. Okay. The emotional intelligent books, I think is probably the most important thing. I'll also throw in there my book on emotional intelligence, but it could be any of the books on emotional intelligence is something that these kids are all, all missing. Then there should be some books on sex. You know, in China, uh, about 80 years ago, kids would be taught until the the communist revolution where they took away all the education and so forth. But uh, I was talking to an author there who's over 90 years old. So he remembers all this stuff from pre-communism. And boys would actually be taught sex and they'd be a sex class and they'd bring in a prostitute and they'd actually show them the vagina. They show them what to touch. The woman would talk about what she experiences and they would have sex education right there. Unfortunately, the sex education kids get today is totally bizarre. And then they go to to pornography and they see that version of it, which is often hyper sensationalized, uh, doesn't have the love and the affection and the tenderness that real lovemaking has. But, But to actually have a woman there who gets naked She's a prostitute, so she gets paid to do it. And she talks about her body and shows parts, and they all get to go look at the the vagina and touch the vagina and see how it feels and everything, and then talk about the points inside, and then teaching them about masturbation. Masturbation is something nobody talks about, and how much do you masturbate? How much is okay to masturbate? The the key to masturbation, as a teenager, you know, they, they need to masturbate. They're going to masturbate, okay, to shame them for not. They all feel guilty if it's a bad thing. But the key to it is that, and let them know that you can masturbate without ejaculating. And the payoff for that will be if you learn how to masturbate without getting addicted to ejaculation, then what happens when you get with a girl, you're going to be able to have intercourse for an hour as opposed to in two minutes, which is quite common today. One is like a bell curve, the 30%, 40% of like two to three minutes, and there's the five minutes, and then there's the guys that on the other end, they can't ejaculate because they don't have enough estrogen. But today, more and more boys have more estrogen, too much estrogen, so they go really fast in sex. So, And there are some that have suppression of estrogen, and they're just testosterone, and they'll have long-lasting sex, but they don't have an emotional connection. So you'll see that in the porn movies, these porn stars, the guys are like machines. They're just machines and they're almost looking bored, okay? There's no emotional connection. There's no adoration. There's no love. There's no ecstasy. And the women are all in sort of an ecstatic state, but there's no connection with her with him. So that's the whole thing, which is, you know, a woman can take a vibrator and just rub herself for a while. She'll have all this orgasmic energy, but there's no connection with it. And so when we do this, it depletes us of life force sex, the purpose of sex is to increase the feelings of love. It's to increase the feelings of love. It generates love energy. 
when you have sex. You know, when people are aroused by someone, they feel the love and the love has to be directed to someone you love who's also loving you back. It depletes energy if you don't get the love back from your partner. It's a magic thing, sex. And most people just were not conscious enough to get there. Today, we can get there because males have now access, as I started out saying in the beginning, to their male and female sides. It's just the problem for males is they get caught over too far on their female side, which is passive, irritable, are addicted to pleasure, addicted to masturbating, addicted to porn, addicted to drugs or alcohol, addicted to anger, you know, drama, control. These are all men going too far to their female side. The male side is cool, calm, collected, and compassionate if he has testosterone and the estrogen allows him to feel the compassion and empathy. Otherwise, if he doesn't have enough testosterone, he'll start to feel the empathy of his estrogen, and then it's no longer about her. She isn't upset. Then I have an upset, and it's bigger than yours. Or you're blaming me. I'm going to blame you back. All this monkey-type stuff that we get into, monkey behavior. And, you know, we have to learn how to behave like adults, humans, in this new world where our primary need is now emotional support. Our primary, remember I mentioned that mm. before it was survival and security. If you were hungry and your partner fed you, and if you're a man and you went out and worked and you came home and your wife cooked for you and she had sex with you, you got a release, you could go to sleep. Everybody was happy. Basic primal needs. Babies, you can make babies, you get fed, you have security, safety. But once we can do those things for ourselves, what we depend on others for is the emotional support. And we haven't learned how to do that. All we have learned is women have learned to go to their male side. Men have learned to go to their female side. And that becomes the default. Whenever we're in cortisol, stress mode, the body will automatically push into role reversal unless we have awareness of how to get back to your male side and for women, how to get back to your female side. Yes. Such good information. Now I've got three little rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. What's one thing that we can do today for our health? Oh, okay. So one thing, well, if I'm talking to women, I would say you can get it online. It's not a prescription. You should take lithium orotate every day, low dose lithium orotate, four and a half milligrams of lithium and then oratic acid combined is a little capsule or a little pill. And that is the most powerful thing to lower stress in women. It's a mineral the brain requires to balance dopamine, serotonin, which then balances hormones. And that's simple. It's the cheapest supplement you can buy. It's the most misunderstood supplement because psychiatrists give lithium carbonate in toxic doses and therefore there's side effects. So if you did a Google search on lithium, you'd say it's dangerous, only doctors should give it, has side effects. Very little uh, documented research on lithium orotate. There's no danger with lithium orotate. It's over the counter. It's trying to take a one little pill. It's the cheapest supplement you can buy. It's the $9 for two months supply and it will help balance your brain chemicals. It's the regulator between calcium and magnesium in producing dopamine or serotonin in the brain. So that's a simple simple supplement somebody can take. A dietary change that someone would take is to occasionally, well, ideally cut back on the sugars and the carbs, 
because when you eat sugars and carbs, it disturbs blood sugar, it spikes blood sugar, and then blood sugar crashes down, and now you're in your monkey brain. You can't be in your front brain with low blood sugar, and high blood sugar will bounce back to low blood sugar. It's just that up and down movement. And so when you go to high blood sugar or high intensity, what happens is you lose lithium. That's why lithium is so important. Now, personally, I take a pill, I, I formulate it, which has lithium orotate and calcium orotate, magnesium orotate, zinc orotate, and lithium orotate. Those five alkalizing minerals, what I have found is helps the brain be more calm and focused. You give it to children and suddenly they're like different kids. So that's, I call those super minerals. More information on that and how to take it and so forth at my website, marsvenus.com in the store where we actually sell lithium orotate or super minerals. But anywhere on the internet now you can find lithium orotate. You can't find it in stores and Canada still has it illegal. And I'm not sure about Australia, but I know that it seems to get in fine when they order it from America. Okay. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah. It's just so, so there's a video there that explains doses and ages and everything, but it's completely no side effects. And, you know, whenever you recommend something, you always say to people and go to your doctor for their suggestions, but you don't do that. If you say, I'm going to go have a hamburger, I'm not going to go to a doctor. Mm-hmm. All that's in these minerals that I just recommended is what's in food. It's actually just food. There's no side effect. It's not a drug. It doesn't affect any other thing. And if you go to your doctor, they don't know about it. And all they know is lithium, which is a controlled substance given by doctors, which has side effects if not done correctly. This is low-dose lithium orotate. It's different. And you don't need a doctor's suggestion. It's simply just like you go go buy vitamin C. Now, if you think you need a doctor's suggestion to take vitamin C, then go go to your doctor. And if they say don't do it, they're the wrong doctor. Because I've seen this happen. People get the benefit of it, then their doctor finds out and tells them not to do it because the doctor only knows the side effects of lithium carbonate. They know nothing in their knowledge about lithium orotate. I've been promoting this for 20 years. I've only had good results of this. And nobody talks about it because there's no profit in it. I don't do it for the profit. It's just, you got to, there's a dollar profit on a bottle. What, what, you know, it's nothing, you know, on an antidepressant, you get 5,000 times the cost of the pill each time they buy one of those pills, 5,000 times more. Wow. It's just like, this is what we're dealing with today is it's all business. And if you can't make money on something, you can't market it and promote it. So it doesn't get marketed and promoted, but I tell everybody about it. And finally, over the years, more and more people are creating products with lithium orotate in them. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll link to it in the show notes. Now, the next question is, what is one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Okay. So, you know, what I see is, first of all, you can look at my life. I like to give my, you know, I'm, I have all the abundance anybody could imagine. Okay. It's basically, and I have a loving family. I have good health. I have abundance in my life. I travel, I go first class, have all those things. So ask me, how did I create that? The way I created that is hard work and primarily hard work to keep my heart open. Yes. It's when you love, when your heart is open and you also discipline yourself to do what you're here to do, which means hard work sometimes, but not all the time. What I see is the people who can work hard don't give themselves time to enjoy their lives and love. And the people who can enjoy their lives and love they'll have a level of contentment that doesn't motivate them to work hard and achieve your goals. 
when your heart is open, ask yourself, what is it that I really, really want? How can I be in service of this world? If you're looking for, I just really, really want money and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you look also and primarily, how do, how do I want to help the world? How, what kind of person do I want to be? What do I want to be? And feel that strong desire to how I want to be. And then, and I want to have plenty of money so I can do that. Let the desire for money and wealth be there to support you to do what you can do. You know, I, I want to stay in the best hotels when I teach classes, and I need that. I live in a palace. My house is amazing. I'm going to give up my house to go do that. No, I have a comfort level I'm used to. I want that. I will be a better teacher if I have that. If I'm not comfortable and don't sleep well in some hotel, then I'm not going to be a better teacher. And for me to be in prime, I, I tend to be, you know, I like comfort. That's my nature. Some guys like to sleep out in the woods. I don't. But I did when I was young, when I was a monk, celibate monk for nine years with the Maharishi. I slept on the floor. You know, I fasted for seven days at a time. I practiced my discipline. And I still have that discipline, but I applied to my work. But I'm also just as disciplined or even more disciplined that if I'm ever angry, upset, feeling victimized, feeling unhappy, what I have to do is discipline myself to process that negativity out of me. So I come back to being grateful for what I have, loving the people who are important to me in my life, and then asking myself, and what do I want? Then what do I want? What do I wish? I call forth from the universe and I say, this is what I want. I meditate on it. And then I imagine that it's happened. And I spend just as much time as I start focusing, I want this, I want this, I want to look like this, I need this. I look at what I want, what I want to accomplish. And then I take time to imagine that it's happened. And how does that make me feel? So I feel like, okay, this, I'm so appreciative. I'm so grateful. I'm so confident. I'm so happy. You have to imagine having it. And that pulls forth the intelligence and the awareness of how you can get there. And it will automatically emerge inside without like, oh, I have to figure everything out. I never figured anything out. I just took it one day at a time, always imagining being the biggest best-selling author in the world. I just imagined what that would be like and became that for a while, wow, you know, so powerful. but that was for years. I did that, you know, and while I had people rejecting me and not interested in my work and little seminars, I would just feel beaten down, my disappointment, my hurt. I felt rejected. I felt misunderstood. Those were my feelings because people were not open to my ideas. So it was my reactive self. I'd feel those emotions for a while, get in touch with what I really, really want. And then imagine having it. Imagine people coming up to me saying, your book changed my life. Your seminar changed my life. And I would, every time somebody said my seminar helped them, I'd remember what they said. And in my visualization, I'd imagine those people coming to me and saying those things. So it was more real. And gradually and gradually, I built up the confidence to write that book. And then gradually, it took a year before it was on the bestseller list. My publisher stopped, gave up on me. And, but I kept promoting it and promoting it and holding that vision that it was going to be there and be there. And then it happened. And it stayed on for six years, number one in New York Times. It was amazing. Wow. But the visualization all brought me back up. So I continued to have my heart open to help people to take action, but also to process my, my negative beliefs that whenever you're upset, you have some negative limiting belief, but you got to feel it and let it go. But you let it go by being able to feel how painful it is and you naturally let it go. And that is a success principle. You know, I have a book called series of tapes called dynamic success, where I talk about these processes that I did and I share with other people. And they're not the only processes other people have, but to summarize is hold your vision 
know that you get knocked down. And every time you get knocked down, you bring yourself back up with strong desire and love in your heart. And that's like building a muscle. You can't build a muscle. If you dream big, you're going to have more resistance. You got to break through. And the breakthrough means you're going to get knocked down. If you go to a gym and you want strong muscles, you don't pick up a light weight. You just pick up a weight, which is a little bit stronger than you can do comfortably. And you push it and then you get more. Then you get to more and you get to more. You build it up. But you don't pick the light weights. You don't just go easy. You have to go heavy. And that then builds by overcoming that challenge. But you don't want too much weight. Otherwise, it will knock you down. So, you know, it's a gradual process of building up through overcoming challenges and obstacles. And a nice belief is the universe or God only gives you the obstacles that you can deal with. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I've got one more rapid fire, even though this is not rapid fire. Sorry. <laughs> and no, it's all good. It's all good. What is one thing? I mean, you've shared so much about love, but what is one thing that people can do today to cultivate more love in their life? Just one thing that they can take away from today. Okay, one one thing to cultivate more love is find the part of you that wants to help others. Yeah, that's beautiful. And 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 just realize that's who I am. That's what I'm here in this world for and go help somebody and continue to help somebody. And when it comes to male female relationships, help your partner by not being critical of them. Try just not being critical of trying to change them or improve them in any way, but have a level of patience and acceptance and try to understand. And the way that looks for men is to listen a little longer and give a hug and say something sweet. And for a woman, the way that looks is just accept him. Don't try to change him and go go in and enjoy that hug with him. And then let him know what you would like on their date next week so he doesn't have to figure it out. And then let him do it for you. And no matter what happens, be happy. And then he'll be encouraged to do more of that dating. Yeah, beautiful. Now, this has been so jam-packed. It's been amazing. I'm so grateful. And I just wanted to thank you so much for all of the incredible work that you do in the world and for sharing so beautifully with us today and for all your books and everything that you do. It is awesome. But I'm a massive believer in service, and I want to know what I and the listeners can do to serve you today. You are of service to us in so many different ways. So how can we give back to you? Well, you can share this video or this audio with a friend, you know, share this with somebody. This is important information to bring out into the world. And if you happen to be in the Bay Area, you can come visit me in one of my seminars and bring a friend introduce these ideas to somebody else because they are life-changing. And uh, you can always go to my website, marsvenus.com, and you can see what my schedule of events are. Usually I'm out of the country most of the time, but occasionally I do courses in America in the Bay Area near San Francisco. I've got one coming up October 10, 11, and 12, or it's the weekend of that October, and people can go online or they can go to my store, marsvenus.com, and go to the store, and there's a little description of it there and they can sign up there but bring somebody tell somebody about it that's uh, the only way you help support me is to share my wisdom with other people that's what i that's what i live for is i don't need to do this job i uh, for a financial reason i need to do this job to feel happy and fulfilled because we all have a function in the world my function is to bring more love into the world and teach people how to find it and open their hearts and if you're inspired to support me that's how you could do it 
Awesome. Thank you. And we'll link to everything in the show notes. And I definitely think you need to come to Australia very soon and run some workshops. Have you got any plans to do that? You know, I don't. Years ago, I used to go there and then I had a falling out with an organizer. I didn't do what they what they were doing. I didn't like what they were doing. So I never went back. But if there's somebody listening who's a, a successful promoter who has a track record, wants to bring me to Australia, happy to come. I love Australia. <laughs> I've been there many, many times. I'll tell you a fun story about it real quick. When I first wrote Men Are From Mars, I did one of my first tours to Australia and everybody said in America, oh boy, Australia, those men, they're not going to like your message at all. I said, are you kidding? Australian men love this message. Of anywhere in the world that I have found where there's already an acceptance of gender differences, a, an inner knowing that men and women are different, it's Australia. And women want men to be men. Men want women to be women. And it was so much more accepted there than anywhere else in the world. So that was really fun for me. And I knew that would be the case because I had friends who were from Australia. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, please do let us know if you come down this way. We would love to see you and have you. And John, I just wanted to, again, thank you so much for your time today. The wisdom that you've shared is amazing. I hope so many people got a lot out of this. And I just want to thank you so, so much for all of your books, your work, everything, and for sharing with us today. It's been awesome. Well, you're completely welcome. And thank you for having me on your show. Pleasure. So what did you think? How good was that? Seriously, if there's one book, a relationship book that Nick and I go back to time and time again, it is men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I really hope you got a lot out of this conversation and please share it with your partner. Share it with all of your friends. And if you loved it, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And also means that all of my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. Now, come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini, your favorite part of this conversation. I would love to hear from you. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there is someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, your partner, your friends, anyone. Take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. There is a reason that this is the most downloaded and popular episode of all time. So share, share, share. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.